Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right, here we are, Project Quantum Leap. We will be discussing double identity today. It was written by Donald Belisario, directed by Aaron Libstadt. The air date was April 21st, 1989. Our leap date is November the 8th, 1965. And Sam has leapt into Frankie the Hitman. Uh, Dennis, why don't you give us a little TV Guide synopsis? So here, here is the TV Guide synopsis. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, <laughs> that's amore. But when Sam, Scott Bakula is a hitman fooling around with the Mafia Don's girl, that's a mess. <laughs> that's understatement. Of Somebody you. wrote that copy. They did it. Somebody you. wrote that. Uh, and they died a little inside. Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting as a historical fact that TV Guide was so present in so many households. Oh, God. Oh, yes. And, and you used to read it. Like, you literally used to read it because mm-hmm. sometimes you didn't know what you'd be watching. Uh-huh. And somebody was paid to write stuff like that in order to generate some sort of interest or or, or maybe not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But at least give you some information about the show. Oh, absolutely. It was a highlight of my week when we bought next week's yeah. TV Guide. Like, that was a... <laughs> right? That was an event. Going to the grocery store and seeing the new issue there, it was like, oh, I gotta get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember my mom was all up in about the family matters issue. <laughs> what what was the family matters issue? Yeah, it was just the family matters. Oh, the oh yeah, got it. And yeah. I was like, chill out, mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I only need so much information about Urkel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in a show a few years ago, uh, Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. If you're familiar with oh, that yeah. one. Oh yeah. And uh, the director, he went and he ordered a bunch of TV guides off eBay just because she was supposed to have a bunch of like different like magazines and stuff yeah. sitting around at one point I was playing uh, Johnny and Frankie like throws a bunch of the TV guides at me and like at the first rehearsal that he brought there was like I found the one from my birthday week oh, like my literal wow. birthday week like they were wow. that they were that old and I'm like I'll be taking that one that's thank yeah thank you very much that's, that's very saved cool. somewhere at home oh man yeah well yeah and you used to like you, you would save covers like I remember because my dad was a big Elvis fan so he still has like you know Elvis covers and I had some Star Trek covers in fact I remember when Deep Space Nine went off the air for its series finale there was like a series of four different covers or something like that and I had all four mm-hmm. covers yeah I don't know if we still have them or not yeah I remember uh, a few years ago it was probably like 2001 2002 like TV Guide did their top 25 cult TV shows of all time yeah and I think Quantum Leap landed on number 12 and I'm like yeah that's yeah. legit right, right, right there exactly right there yeah. so speaking of segues back to Quantum Leap yeah, yeah. Two, Quantum two, Leap. Minute, two um, minutes in already off on a tangent well it was uh, an interesting one uh, yes um, uh, listeners you can already tell that we have a guest we do indeed Christopher, sir, would you like to introduce yourself, perhaps, to our listeners? Ah, Christopher Stewart. Um, I'm big in all things pop culture. I'm not big into Quantum Leap in that I've only seen a couple of episodes, but from what I've seen, fantastic shit. Yes, excellent. Yeah, we were talking earlier, you said that you'd only seen maybe like four episodes yeah. before tonight. Uh, yeah. We're, uh, so so we're uh, recording on a Saturday evening, and uh, Chris and I have actually been sitting here, and we watched a couple of episodes in the lead up to our recording session. Dennis arrived, and now, and now we're off. But um, yeah, 
it, it's always interesting to come back to uh, an episode after having not seen it for a while. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, with with an episode like Double Identity, mm-hmm. watching it um, for the first time, I mean, I probably hadn't seen it in over a decade at least. Oh, wow. Um, until, and now I've seen it twice in the past like week and a half. And um, it's very interesting to rewatch it because there's so much that I feel like the episode does right. Uh, mm-hmm. in particular for setting up the template of the series in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think one of the interesting things to mention right off the bat is that this was originally supposed to be the first episode aired after the pilot. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the first episode produced and, and, and taped after the pilot, and uh, they decided to move it to later in the in the production block. It's interesting because Belisario's reason, which I'm not going to reveal yet, because I want to yeah. wait until we get into that particular part of the episode... I, I I kind of scratched my head over. I was sort of like, oh, is mm-hmm. that okay? Yeah. I mean, that's fine. But I mean, yeah, I'll save my comment there. Yeah. Actually, when we were getting ready to record the first block of episodes, I don't think I ever actually ran it past you. But even though we said we were going to do the episodes in air date order, yeah. this is the fifth episode. If you count the pilot as as one episode, well, yeah. I was going to suggest to you to make this the second episode. Yeah. That we recorded and released because it was supposed to be the second episode, and in my mind. Like it, it, like in my head canon. Yeah, it is the second episode. It makes sense with some of the stuff that, that happens within the episode. I think, mm-hmm. especially when considering it coming right after uh, uh, Genesis and, and and some of the stuff that happens in that episode. Um, that that I think it, it would make sense uh, story wise with the flow mm-hmm. of the story. Well, um, not just story, and I think we may have talked about this in the pilot. I feel like in the pilot, they were trying to establish this idea that whatever situation Sam leaped out of, he would leap into a somewhat physical or uh, similar physical situation mm. in the next episode. Like in the pilot episode, oh, yes. like he's reaching out a window to catch a baseball that his son is throwing up to him, and then he leaps into a baseball player catching a pop fly in the outfield. Ah. At the end of the pilot, he's laid spread out on his back, and the start of double identity, yeah. he starts spread out on his back. So nice. I think an idea that they quickly abandoned was this idea that he would be physically in a similar position to wherever he was. Interesting. The last time. For six episodes before right. just like... <laughs> After that, yeah. Right. What's the type of thing I feel like once the audience noticed it and, and, and the jig was up with the gag that yeah. people just wouldn't... They, yeah, they would, they would kind of be like, you're saying, oh, okay. Yeah. I, it would I be like, it. Uh, very much like, uh, did you ever do improv, yeah. Sam? Like oh, yeah. the, the improv game Freeze? Yes, absolutely. Where, where you come in and yeah, you, you, you freeze an improv scene and then you pick up the exact summer position. Yeah. Yes. That was actually, believe it or not, that was probably some of the very first you know, acting exercises that I ever did back when I was in seventh or eighth grade um, were improv and, and freeze specifically. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was a great way, I think, for our teacher to keep everyone involved. You know, you get two sure. people up there, you go, 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 somebody else freeze, somebody hops in, you know. So, yeah, it, but that makes sense as far as the, yeah, the, you know, new situation that Sam would find himself in. And every, yeah. Yeah. So, Sam so he, improv yeah. leaps in freeze. Yeah. <laughs> and Frankie spread out on the floor. Wow. And he looks up. And actually, before he even looks up, we hear the voice of a woman mm-hmm. uh, talking about how great that was. Who's smoking hot, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just, she is. Wow. Teresa. Uh, Teresa. You were terrific. If yep. I'm lying, I'm dying. If I'm lying, I wish my I'm wife dying. Betsy uh, was guest hosting. She does this perfect yeah. New Jersey wife 
accent. Uh, Betsy is not an actor. She is not in the performance world. She would be too embarrassed out in public to do any of the the accents or the dialects that she oh, doesn't know. But that. but sometimes she will just like let them go. She has so she has a great New Jersey. You know, no disrespect. Fuck your mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you know, you just have to record her at some point, and we'll drop it into Get, it, get it in there, you know? yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. When she's, when she's completely unaware. Yeah. So, um, so so he leaps into Frankie, and Teresa's standing over him. And Teresa is, is played by Terry Garber, uh, which one quick factoid about her is that she played Ashton Maine in the North and South movies with Patrick Swayze. Wow. And it's so interesting, because I did not know that until I, you know, IMDb'd it, and, uh, completely different character. I mean, like, the fact that she is playing this sort of toxic, southern belle, you know, kind of sultry character in North and South, and then the character that she plays in in Double Identity, I feel like there's a lot of differences between the two, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to just kind of see her range in that. Uh, of course, she did a lot of other stuff, but that was something that I picked up on IMDb that I thought was interesting. Um... Yeah, beautiful. Fits the part perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, just seems like the Mafia Don's, y- y- you know, daughter or not. In, in this case, <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. But but you know, fits fits the bill. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought she was the Mafia Don's daughter. Right. But I learned quickly after some creepiness that <laughs> that, that, that right. there is not. So so we have this uh, brief scene of Sam putting him pulling himself together. Look in the mirror. Uh, becoming more uh, adept or attuned at like looking in the mirror and getting used to seeing a different yeah. face look back at him. And, he, and he's very taken with he, Yeah, Frankie. he is. He, mm-hmm. he, thinks that, he thinks that Frankie is quite dashing uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and feels like that this is what uh, Tux is supposed to look like mm-hmm. on a person. And he even says, eat your heart out, Al, which I think is hilarious because, you know, the first time he ever sees Al, Al is in Tux mm-hmm. in the pilot Ooh, episode. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting little callback. Um yeah, and then immediately after this, uh, we proceed out into the backyard wedding scene, mm-hmm. and uh, it feels so much like the you know lighter version of the first scene from The Godfather, uh, which the first two? no the first one the first one yeah well because well actually so they they actually both have weddings in them but in, but in the the Godfather one the um, the first scene is the wedding oh, yeah, in yeah, the backyard mm-hmm. the, you know Corleone house and. Um, you know the daughter's getting married, and, and yeah, so it's um, it's 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 interesting parallel, and it makes a lot of sense. Again, what we've talked about earlier with kind of fitting into certain genres and playing off of those, mm-hmm. uh, and and this is clearly their their Godfather episode. <laughs> yes, and I also think it's interesting. We talked about this with how the test was won. Uh, they almost like once you get Sam established what what his situation is, they immediately break away from him for a few minutes, and they set up this entire. They set yeah. up the world that he is in. Which is cool because we see it through Teresa's eyes because mm-hmm. Teresa's like going around and like talking to people. And it's, it, you know, it's great because, I mean, let's face it, she's absolutely in this post-coital bliss mode where she's like just drifting through each little scene, talking to all of the people. Mm-hmm. And like she's having so much fun and feels so good about herself. But you can tell that some of the people are sort of giving her the side eye like, why is Teresa so happy? Mm-hmm. Um, we yeah. Do. You know, what's she doing? We know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's also because maybe she felt bulletproof. Mm. You're the you're the mafia Don's toy. Yeah, you could say whatever to anybody. So I guess she was going around that wedding, 
just being bulletproof, I guess. And now that's a good point. And I think that it because it's something that we don't find out right away, it's interesting to see her interactions with all of those people. Ah. Then to even see her interaction with the with the bocce game where she mm-hmm. comes up mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and she's got the you know, the 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 bend over scene where she flashes <laughs> her underwear to the old mafia guys and everybody's like, you know, you know those old mafia guys yeah. were like, God bless America. Yeah, but they but of course, like you're saying about how she's feeling bulletproof, they're not because oh. they all turn away, hide their eyes because the Don's sitting right there. And in addition to what you're saying about bulletproof, the next thing that she does is she awards the game into Frankie's dad's That's favor right. away mm-hmm. from Gino. And Gino gets kind of mad and like takes her into the garage and you know kind of falls oh, around. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's he's clearly very very possessive. Um, Michael Genovese is the actor that plays Gino, which is the, I mean, the perfect name for a guy who's playing a mafia don. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know did a bunch of, of other television. It's interesting in this episode in particular. A lot of the actors did just a ton of of other famous TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was Magnum P.I. or Hardcastle and McCormick or Twilight Zone or MASH or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a string of, like, popular television shows. You know what else I noticed? Everybody looked fantastically dressed. Mm-hmm. Well... Like to a T. And not only the what they were wearing, but their hair. Yeah, oh yeah. And the reason mm-hmm. I bring that up is this episode actually won an Emmy Award for Best Hairstyling. <laughs> Uh, wow. Hairstyle? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was this the first Emmy that they won? It was not, and this, I feel like this is something that we should have mentioned, and I, maybe we did, I don't think we did, but actually the pilot won an Emmy for Outstanding Cinematography. I can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is something that we didn't even talk about in that podcast, so go back and listen. If go you back haven't. and re-record. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it did, it won an Emmy for, for hairstyling, and you're right, everybody looks great, and I think that that goes in hand-in-hand in hand with a lot of stuff we've talked about with production values in general mm. in the show, they, they tend to keep them fairly high, people are dressed well, dressed period appropriate, period appropriate, the cars look good, the music is right, you know, I mean, it feels mm. very authentic. Even the hitman's gun was time appropriate. Right? That's the first thing mm-hmm. I noticed, I was like, is that a, after War 45? Yeah. Oh, and which... That? Nice you know, catch. Before before we get to that though, let's let's go back real quick because after uh, the moment in the garage mm-hmm. uh, with Gino and Teresa, Sam has come out and is now making his rounds <laughs> and has a couple of very fun moments, especially with the with with Nona. Uh, yes, at, yeah. at the at the food table, mm-hmm. and she starts. Just going off in Italian, and he has and they'll be like, like "Oh boy, I'm sorry." I'm supposed to speak Italian. Yeah. I think this may be the first old boy moment in the in the episode, maybe. Yeah, I, I think um, it might be the only one in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, he realizes he's supposed to speak Italian. But it, it sets up... You don't know what she's talking about, but the word bingo. Mona throws out the word bingo. bingo. That's so that's... Right. So, yeah, that, that sets something up for, for later on in the episode. Yeah. Oh, and, and so the interesting thing about Mama that I really wanted to bring up when I found this out... Um, because in doing some of the the, the research, uh, she's played by an actress by the name of uh, Harry Harriet Medding, and um, the reason I bring that up is because she was in her first role ever. Actually, was in a film called Paisan by uh, Roberto Rossellini, and it's uh, 
one of the, I mean, it's a brilliant piece of post-war film from Italy. Um, and it was, you know, filmed in like bombed out streets. And I mean, it's, it's very much, uh, the neo realist movement began with movies like Paisan. And, uh, I remembered her immediately when I read that because she plays Harriet, the nurse is one of the things that he did oftentimes is he cast people that he just felt like looked like what he wanted or they had the right profession. Mm -hmm. He didn't work with a lot of actors early on. Uh, most of his films would have like maybe two or three actors and the rest of the cast would just be regular people that he, that he found and he decided he wanted to film them. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, it's a part of his war trilogy and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible piece of work. And when I, when I found out that she had been in that and realized, oh gosh, that's the same person. I don't know. It was kind of, it was thrilling for me anyway, mm -hmm. just because I was like, oh wow. How about that? And, and, and I wondered if in 1989, if, you know, anyone, producers, directors, casting directors or whatever were aware and thought to themselves, wow, we've got this person. Mm -hmm. Probably not. Cause you know, in a pre DVD, Blu-ray streaming sort of era, it was not an easy film to come by unless you were probably in a film school or oh, going God, to an absolutely. art house, you mm -hmm. know, film or whatever. But anyway, uh, so yeah, she so has the funny moment with her mm -hmm. speaking Italian at him. He recognizes bingo. Mm -hmm. And then we get to uh, Primo, who is Frankie's brother. It's Primo and Angela's wedding. Yeah. Uh, Primo wants him to sing for their wedding. Yeah. And Angela has chosen Volare. <laughs> Yeah, and he gets he gets thrown up on stage to sing Volare. Yeah, it, it's funny because this is really, if you think about it production-wise, this is the first time that Scott Bakula ever got to sing mm -hmm. within the context of an episode. It's not the first time that we've seen him do that, though, because we saw him in... Um, right Hand of God, kind yeah, of singing Amazing Grace. that's right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this is really the first time we hear him sing, mm -hmm. and, you know, his musical theater background doesn't really come into play at first. <laughs> yeah, but then, then it kicks in. It's funny, yeah. Well, Al shows up, yeah. and so Al starts feeding him the words. And it is comical how Sam warms up very quickly yeah. to the song, and he starts eating up the attention. He even does this thing, like, after he, he gets through into the second verse, whoa, and he does this cheesy... Yeah, points yeah. to points to someone. <laughs> yeah, and he even out he, does, the crowd. He, he does like a count off at one point, like one, two, three, four. Uh -huh. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is when we've talked about this on previous episodes. The way Sam was originally envisioned, he was supposed to be a more comedic character, and Scott Bakula actually fought to have him become become a more dramatic character and kind of be like the straight man to Al. And I feel like this is like a an example of an early episode where you kind of see where I think Don Belisario originally envisioned Sam as, as far as like the comedic delivery. Yeah. Although I will say that one thing that's interesting about this episode as the whole is, is that it's a very balanced Sam as compared to what we get from some of the other episodes, mm -hmm. because I feel like there are certainly some you know comedic moments that are hammed up a little bit. Um, but that there are also some really passionate, heartfelt, more serious moments, uh, that foreshadow, I think the direction that the character and the show would take. In fact, I would even argue in spite of this being produced before the other episodes that this is kind of, this feels more like Sam to me than right hand of God or how the test was won. Mm, this okay. feels more like the character that we would get to know over the course of the series than, than those two episodes later on. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
But he so he finishes up Valari. F- yeah, finishes up. Well, actually, while he's singing Valari, we get another interesting bit. It cuts away to the Don and the Don's right hand man. And I'm and I'm oh, looking at the yeah. information here. I'm not ever sure if we ever get the right hand man character's name. I don't. I don't uh, think so. But he is played by Mark Margolis. Can, mm-hmm. I, can I give him a name? Yeah, the Don's right hand killer. <laughs> the name, there we go. Like he had that smirk. Where the dad would like look at mm-hmm. him and say, "I want this guy off the planet in thirty seconds," and he's just like, "Yeah, all right, go yeah. get it." Yeah, yeah, I like that. Absolutely, the, Don's right hand killer. So that D R H K. There you go. Yeah. So D R H K, played by Mark Margolis. I don't know if you recognize him. Do you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. He is Hector Salamancus. No. Yes. Seriously? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Oh. Got him uh, for the listeners at home. I got I got him wow, pulled up on the internet wow. here. Yeah, uh, have I'll you have you watched Better Call Saul? Yeah, I've seen most of the first season. Okay, yeah. I don't think they he shows up uh, after. I think starting more with the second and third season, uh, Hector Salamanca shows up more, but it's pre wheelchair. Wow. Actually, third season you see the events the, that make him the way he is. Wow! Wow! Uh, when when he comes to Breaking Bad, it's yeah. I mean, it's great what I've seen of it. I just haven't had time to you know to really dive in. And, and it's a slower it show. Uh, the first season, especially like it, the first season of Breaking Bad, is slow. The first season of Better Call Saul is slow. It benefits from being able to binge watch it. Sure. Mm-hmm. So just dive in and just go. I think Betsy and I like a couple of months ago we went through all three seasons in nice. in like two weeks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So anyway, so the Don's. Right hand killer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let lets the Don know that Teresa managed to give him the slip for twenty minutes. Yeah, and they already suspect that she slipped off to have fun with someone else. With someone else. Mm-hmm. Get a meat injection. And at this point, yeah. <laughs> get what? Hmm? Get a meat injection. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh. And I, you know, one of the things that happens in this particular moment too is that Gito says the thing about making whoever it was sing soprano, and at that point, <laughs> Sam hits the hits super hit, high hit, hit soprano <laughs> yes. falsetto note. And I also love it's just a pure coincidence. Like after this, uh, the most iconic piece of mafia entertainment that's going to come along in the next decade is The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> on HBO. Yeah. Well, which is great because, and since we've already seen him, I feel like I can say this, uh, Frankie's dad, Frankie Primo and Segundo's dad, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Santos was in The Sopranos. Not only was he in The Sopranos, he also had a co-starring role in The Rockford Files. Yes, um, yes, that's where yeah, that's where I recognize him from. from the Sopranos. Yeah. yeah, and yet another one of those actors that had, and I wrote some of this down because I was just so amazed. He was in um, Police Story, A Team, Twilight Zone, Hardcastle and McCormick, Remington Steele, MacGyver, Magnum PI, Murder She Wrote. So clearly, he was a wow. guy that was just around, you know, yeah, during the he 80s, worked a doing lot. every TV show. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Rockford Files, he had like a, a co-starring role with James mm-hmm. Garner, yep. so much so that he was in all of the Rockford Files movies that they made in like the late nineties. Ah, yes. yeah. And then he was in Sopranos. Uh, he passed away a little over a year ago. Um, actually March of 2016. He was also in, uh, as a, as a piece of Sam trivia, uh, since we're getting some of my film, 
uh, stuff in here. One of my favorite films, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, which is a great movie with Robert Mitchum. Um, just a, it's, it's just this wonderful crime film, uh, underappreciated, doesn't get seen a lot. There's a Criterion Collection DVD slash Blu-ray of it uh, that I own. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the novel is also very good, but uh, yeah, check it out. And... Since we're on that track, Primo is played by Nick Cassavetes, who is John Cassavetes and Gina Rowland's son. Uh, John Cassavetes, who arguably started the independent film movement mm-hmm. with, you know, with some of his movies uh, uh, in the in the late '50s and early '60s, and, and was famous for like The Dirty Dozen, among among other things. Uh, and Jenna Rollins, who is arguably, you know, one of the finest screen actors ever. Uh, she's she's incredible, and was in um, The Notebook. Uh, amongst other things, uh, so yeah, it's it's an interesting cast, quite quite the the pedigree uh, within the cast. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I, I digress. Yeah. Clearly, while we're, um, while we're on the <laughs> while we're on the film track, I've always found it interesting that the name of this episode is Double Identity, and on its surface, it's almost like it's playing on the film title Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. but in tone, nothing like. No. Nothing like it at all. Because yeah. Double Indemnity is a 1946 film noir movie. Uh, very more, if it's similar, more more similar to anything played against Seymour, which is the last episode of the first season. Yeah. But. Yeah, that no, that is interesting. Well, and I think that the double identity has many meanings. Yeah. Which we'll get to later uh, as well. But no, that that is that is interesting. I didn't I didn't think about that at all. Which is another great film. It's mm-hmm. double indemnity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, Sam finishes his rendition of Valar. Well, we actually don't see him finish it, but we we cut to uh, uh, a scene back in the attic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So commercial uh, break, and then back into the attic with. Al, Al, yeah. And this is where we find out basically what is the, at least one of the primary plots of the episode is that they are planning to retrieve Sam. Right. In the next day or so. Which is, you know, again, looking at it in the context of it, you know, ending up airing when it aired is interesting because that's not something we've really heard about since the pilot episode. Mm -hmm. But then when you put it in the context of this being the second episode that was produced... So soon after the pilot, it kind of makes sense that they're still trying to get him back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they have a theory about how that can be done. Well, I mean, Ziggy's working on it. Uh, and as such, has turned off all non-essential functions yes. at Project Quantum Leap, including mm-hmm. the air conditioning. I think this is the only time in the entire series that we see Al in shorts. <laughs> That's probably right. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I was too busy watching him sweat profusely. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's because, like, watching it now, like, I grew up with this, like, you know, like, standard definition TV, and now in, you know, Blu-ray, yeah. high definition, Dean Stockwell's pale legs just pop out. <laughs> just pop. Like a shot. You're like, they're, like, right in the room with you. I would be willing to guess it's probably one of the only times that Dean Stockwell ever wore shorts, much less the character of Al. <laughs> Yeah. You know there was some talk where they were like, okay, it's hot, we're going to have to get you to wear shorts. And he was like, wait a minute, yeah, I haven't worn shorts since 1974. <laughs> uh, you get some spray tan? Last time I wore shorts, I was in a you know, desert with Peter Fonda doing peyote. I'm not ready, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I made that up, I don't know. I mean, I imagine Stockwell probably did do that, but... 
might not have been in 74 with Peter Fonda. It, um. is, it is very possible, but that is the danger of high definition now. I remember reading like years ago when high definition started to become a thing, some actors were really getting freaked out by it. Can't blame them. Because, not just actors, but but even news anchors. Yeah. yeah. Because, because like they were going to be more honestly seen. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but... <laughs> That's the nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> they were going to be shown for the uh, grotesque monsters they really are. <laughs> we're, looking like, at, we're looking at you, Tom Skilling. Yeah, right. And like, I, Tom Skilling I recently is a, just got a high-def TV, and there are some times where I'm staring like, what is that on your forehead, dude? <laughs> is, that, is that a hair? It looks like a copper wire. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true though, and even in the in the latest Star Trek series, uh, you know, watching some of the close-ups of the characters' faces, uh, there there are a couple of times when Jess and I were watching it last weekend, and she looked at me and she was like, like. Is that makeup or is that person really like broken out right now? Or like, and it's, the, it's true you notice those things just so much more. It's like, oh, you know, somebody had a pimple that weekend. Mm. Yeah, um, what you can do, right? But anyway, so Al's in shorts. Al's in shorts. Project Quantum Leap has all not essential yeah. functions off. We also uh, Sam does sort of a trip through memory lane, memory lane for himself mm-hmm. um, when he finds out what year it is. Mm. And in, in addition to mentioning LBJ, uh, he also brings up Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And Al's response to that is very telling. He says, don't remind me. Um, and he says it in a very, like, it's not, you know, it's not a light sort of like, don't remind me. You know, it's, it's a very mm. laser guided, don't remind me. You know, mm. I don't want to know. I don't, yeah. yeah. I don't want to think about this. And, and you know, Vietnam the, has already in, in two previous episodes, in Starcrossed and in Right Hand of God, has gotten a little bit of play, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and and as as we will talk about more and more, it's no coincidence. You know, Vietnam is a very very important element of Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's interesting because I, I it's very much like Vietnam was that era. It's like any time like you see any TV show like talk about the Iraq War, the yep. Afghanistan War, it is it's in the very similar headspace. For me, yeah. Uh, but but to speak to what you're saying, like Al, he Dean Stockwell gives gives the weight of that line. Actually, to not give spoilers away, if you just happen to be watching the show along with us or uh, haven't delved much past the first season, you learn more stuff about Al in the second season that Dean Stockwell had no clue about, right? And, until they dropped on him uh, in the premiere of the second episode, he was like, oh. I have to totally rethink this character now. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, he, he does manage to give that, that line some weight, so that even looking back in hindsight, that... And, and, you know, one of the things that I do enjoy about this episode, especially compared to how the test was won and Right Hand of God, is that Al is 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 very much a part of the plot, and his character also is... is, is um, it feels it feels like Al in much the same way I was saying earlier. This feels more like Sam mm-hmm. as we get to know him. This feels more like the Al that we get to know throughout the series as well. And mm-hmm. I don't think that that was what we got from how the test was won or Right Hand of God. Um, you know, I think that this this feels more right mm-hmm. than those two episodes did. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so we're oh Sam is going down memory lane. 
Yeah. So he remembers Vietnam. Um, but Al points out that, uh, look, the, uh, Sandy Koufax, is that it? Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. He pitches a perfect game. Yeah. Uh, Sam recalls that he is 10 years old. Right. Oh, yeah. Which is not which is accurate, accurate, as we'll yeah. learn later on. He's probably 11 or, or, or 12. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and, and, and then um, we also get a, uh, a great moment with Al um, noticing the disarray of the room. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's just recently blown the fan on himself, mm. and, and Dean Stockwell does this great little thing where he's kind of like rearranging his hair, <laughs> and he's yes, looking yeah. down at the scene before him, and he's mm. just sort of like, oh, I know what happened here. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's like, it's like and, and based on Frankie's condition when he got into yeah, the waiting I love room. That. I, lo- <laughs> I love that visual. It's like, well, Frankie's condition when he arrived in the waiting room left little to the imagination. Yeah. I just love that oh. that weird interesting visual that, that right. must have what that must have been like yeah, well it wasn't it probably wasn't pretty <laughs> but, yeah but this but but it's of note because what Al says is that even though all of the details of how they're going to retrieve him aren't concrete yet Sam is going to have to be doing whatever he was doing at the moment that he leaped in at the time of retrieval yeah Okay. Yeah. So there's uh, some stakes. <laughs> and we also we also find out at this point, Al informs him that he's a hitman. And mm-hmm. Sam is not okay with that. Mm-hmm. And that's and this is one of the reasons too why I said what I said about feeling like we really get to know who Sam is and will be, is that this the, his reaction to that feels like Sam. Yes. It feels very he's not okay. He's not even okay with inhabiting you know, the same space as a person who killed people, yeah. much mm-hmm. less even imagining that he might have to do that. You know, mm-hmm. now Al immediately tries to allay his fears. You don't have to kill anybody. And Sam's just still like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it, it is a really nice moment. It's played very well because it, it, to me, it seems like one of those moments, like what you were talking about, that Belisario could have been like, oh, it's comedy. This will be a fun little gag where he's like, ah, I don't want to be a hitman. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, Scott Bakula plays more genuine, dead yeah. serious, yeah. And, it, and it really plays nicely. And plus it's more impactful uh, that he does play it serious because nobody wants to be trapped in the body of a killer, especially if you do that for a living. So right? it made it that much more believable. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So after the scene in the attic, mm-hmm. um... We then get this wonderful, obvious Hollywood backlot, but nonetheless, yeah, <laughs> yes. um, you know, yes. wonderful mm-hmm. New York street scene with the three brothers, which is mm-hmm. another thing that you, you know could be nothing, but it's interesting to note that in The Godfather there are three brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, this we've got our three brothers, and um, and um, yeah, so so the, the they're joking, they're talking around. Primo is uh, being a little. Crude about his his wedding night. Yes, having given Angela all the honeymoon she needs. Needs yes. <laughs> um, and uh, <clears throat> Sam is, you know, tr- grilling him about like, why did you even marry her? Mm-hmm. Uh, to which Primo then kind of pulls him aside and is like, you told me to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of puts his foot in his mouth. Yeah, it was yeah. your idea to to move in on the Carluccis. Yeah, right. Yeah. The Carluccis. Mm-hmm. Not the first time that we'll hear of the Carluccis. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But then Sam sees Teresa in a window. Yeah. And decides to get his haircut. See, to me, you talk about, like, this episode, like, it's more uh, of who Sam is. 
uh, throughout the series. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is a very unsam moment where he sees Trace on the window and he decides to go get a haircut. And it's like, it, it, it's it's with no motive for, like, what he's there to do. Sure. Uh, I mean, which, by the way, five episodes in, this is the first episode where this far into the episode, like, there is no objective. Like, there is no Sam is here to do something. Right. Because the only focus that the project is on is... is the retrieval. Is retrieving yeah. him. Yeah. So there's not really anything that Sam is working towards. That's a really good point. Yeah, he's not... Right now. Yeah, there's no... No life he has to save, nothing, you know, nothing that he needs to do to put anything right. It's, mm-hmm. it's literally the objective is we're working on a way to get you back, try to stay out of trouble in the meantime, basically. Yeah. And then, of course, what does he do? Yeah, he goes in to get to gets a haircut from Teresa for no other reason than... Right. This and, was the woman that was standing over him when he leaped in. And there's a great, you know, there's a great bit about how men probably weren't getting their hair cut by women in the 60s and, mm. you know, and, and all this sort of stuff and uh, and when he walks in the door there's that you know could hear a pin drop moment yeah. where everybody's like what? <laughs> yeah so yeah he goes in to get the haircut like you said like uh, all the women kind of clear out and I think Trace actually clears a customer mm-hmm. out well because she's giving her the beehive dude that's it yes and Sam has that funny little line of dialogue about mm-hmm. how her hair looks, and you know, it's it's. He's he's trying to be complimentary, but he's not really being complimentary. And the woman doesn't know how to take what he's saying. And there is that moment also where she's probably sitting there seeing Frankie, and they all know who Frankie is. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just like, "The hell is he doing talking about my hair?" Mm-hmm. You know, like, come on. And so yeah, she Teresa shoes her out and um, ends up. It, you know, she doesn't just. Plop him down, cut his hair. She's giving him a shampoo. Yeah. She's going like the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and at this point, uh, his dad, Frankie's dad, shows up mm-hmm. uh, and is you know asking the brothers like, "What's going on? Mm-hmm. Is he out of his mind?" And mm-hmm. um, and then of course, Gino shows up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Chris, what did you say? Oh, what did I say? You were talking about, he's, you know, that was it. He's going to get whacked. Oh, yeah. It was totally going to get whacked. <laughs> like, right in the chair. Like, oh Yeah. And in, in comes the Don. The Don sees him with his toy. Mm-hmm. And you don't mess with the You don't touch the Don's toy unless you don't want your hand anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, don't rub another man's rhubarb, as Jack Nicholson said. <laughs> in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, exactly. In nineteen eighty nine. Batman. Well what what does Don Gino say? Uh, my condolences on your youngest paisan. Yeah. Or something along that yeah, line. Yeah, 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 he does, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then goes inside. Uh, and oh, before oh, he goes inside, yeah, yeah, Frank, uh, Tony, yeah, Frank's father has to say, like, no, like, this is why, like, yeah, I told to him to, I told him to because maybe, you know, women are talking to each other, the they'll just say anything yeah. and maybe it'll let slip, like, who he's actually or who she's actually sleeping with. And then the Don's like, well, all right, I'll go check this out, but no talking with your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I love is, like, he goes in. And the brothers immediately start talking yes. with their hands right in front of the Don's right-hand killer. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. yeah. Forgot yeah. the right-hand killer was there. That's right. And he's just standing there, like, like with the smirk on his face, like, like he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the end for him. Um, he wants to give him a shave, and mm-hmm. Sam's like, I shaved this morning, and I always shave in the, you know, and the yeah. Don's like... <laughs> He says this thing about, yeah, five o'clock shadow. Nobody likes five o'clock shadow. And Sam's all like, well, some women do. 
And the Don's like, who? And he's like, well, not in 1965, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, it's some line like, uh, uh, five o'clock shadow isn't so big. And the Don says, what about, and he actually like says a date, like, what about whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. He's like, oh, no, I guess... And he does all this while he sent Therese off to get a razor, and she yeah. comes back with... With a safety girl, razor. With a safety razor. And at that point, I'm thinking to myself, thank God she just saved his life. Mm-hmm. There's not anything you can do with a bick, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Little to my imagination, it's still 1965, and with that razor, she, uh, the diamond screws it. Hello, Razor. Yeah. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, bane in your neck. And now he's just got that blade. Yeah. Yeah, getting ready to shave shave Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, the Don starts speaking in Italian to Sam. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he doesn't want anybody else to hear the conversation. Yeah, because, like, I'm going to ask you why you're here. Yeah. And if you answer right, you're just going to get a good shave. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, you know... Sam and viewers are in fear for his life at this point. Yeah. Um, and then he has, he starts talking in in Italian. Yeah. And and luckily Al shows up mm-hmm. in the God. You know, perfect moment. Mm-hmm. But the but before he before he shows up, Sam says Volare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, and uh, uh, Al's like, No, you, you just You just told him to fly away. Yeah, you just told him to fly away and uh, and then, of course, Al starts helping him, and, and it's, a, it's a really great moment because, um, you know, Sam's enjoying himself speaking the Italian, and, and, and Al is clearly very into this conversation, and he starts really just rapid fire with yeah. the stuff. And at one point, you know, Sam's just staring at him, and it's great because the Don looks over. I love, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what the hell is this guy looking at? And, mm-hmm. you know, because Sam can't keep up with what Al's telling him to say. And, mm-hmm. um, but luckily, it's enough. And uh, it gets him out of this this situation, which is which is interesting because the whole bit plays off, you know, in a comedic fashion without doubt. Yeah. But there's also this wonderful strain of tension through it as well. I mean, clearly we know Sam's not going to get his you know throat slit by mm. the dawn. Why but, not? But it's still. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's 1965. It's an Italian hairdresser. Everybody in there knows who the Don is. He could have slit that guy's throat. And nobody would have said anything. Mm-hmm. That's no, you're right. Just go to bingo that night. And That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Bingo. We'll get there. <laughs> um, you know that's that's very very true. Uh, uh, but it, it, it's funny because not only do we get this wonderful um, play, you know, the juxtaposition of the tension of that scene and the possibility of the harm coming to Sam and the comedy and the bits with the language and trying to keep up with that and, you know, and Sam looking at Al. But there's also um, a lot of mirror imagery that's used, and it's great because we see, you know, we, we see Frankie a lot uh, with the Don, and we see, you know, we see Sam's expression on Frankie's face, if you will, a couple mm-hmm. of times, which is very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a nice use of, of the mirror imagery, which I feel like we don't, you know, in How the Test Was Won, we barely get any mirror imagery mm-hmm. at all. Absolutely. In Right Hand of God, there are a couple of really interesting moments at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But other than that, not a whole lot after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this one, it's cool because there's there's a lot of play with the mirror image. You know, Sam kind of playing with the mirror image at the beginning. This happening now. Um, and there's even some more stuff later. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's just the whole scene is a really great set piece, I feel like, for Quantum Leap Season 1. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. 
but yeah, so we get out of this uh, situation and they get back on uh, the street and wrapping up with with his brothers and and the dad. Uh, we find out that we get another thing. Take Mona to bingo tonight. She thinks yeah. that you're she thinks that you're good luck. Yeah, and I think this is when we cut away when we see uh, Sam and Al talking to each other. And this is where I misspoke earlier. This is where Sam gets more instructions from Al saying that. He has to be doing exactly yeah. whatever he was doing, but at the same time, he has to plug in a hair dryer at this address over in Brooklyn just a few minutes prior. Yeah, and and of course he's like, "How am I going to do that? Yeah. I can't get there." And you know, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, but obviously he he figures out a plan. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just like I guess I guess this is what I'm going to have to do. Um, there's some really great moments here um with al uh you know uh he he does the uh, hop along casadich yes which is great um he talks about the orphanage he talks about his dad he talks like there's there's all of these little moments Mm -hmm. you know kind of peppered in in this little and again it's like we're we're learning um a lot about al that i feel like we didn't get in the last two episodes Mm -hmm. at all uh and, and and this feels like um you know, if this were the X Files, for instance, mm-hmm. this episode would be like a mythology episode. Yeah. You know, in a weird sort of way, yes. but it would. It, this this is like carrying over the, that bigger arc of a story. Whereas Right Hand of God, How the Test Was Won, they're, they're kind of throwaways, honestly. Fun episodes, mm. but they're not they're not as you know they're not as integral to the to the overall development um, of of these two characters, in my opinion. That's interesting. I don't know if I agree. Like, yeah. you, you, you learn some tidbits about Al. Like, in the first uh, scene, he talked about how when he was 10, he took so-and-so into the coat closet at yeah. school because he was socially advanced. Right. And in this one, he talks about his dad comes to spring him from the orphanage one weekend and brings him a girl. Yeah. At a young time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know if we're learning anything really deep about, about no. Al and these... Sure, but it, but it feels like it's... Yeah, I mean, you're learning more than, than right-handed God or, or how the test yeah. one, certainly. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a tenuous comparison at best. But, For sure. You know, yeah. uh, and uh, the X-Files, I can never get into. I always tried to get into the X-Files. Yeah. I think I always caught X-Files when they were airing the fluff episode right after they wrapped up the major storyline. Sure. Uh, and since yeah. there was so much hype around it, like, I would watch the episode, and I'm like, this... This is it? Yeah. This is what people are talking about? Hey, you know, some people argue, I, I'm not necessarily one of them, but some people do argue that some of those standalone episodes are far better than the, you know, than the, the arc the episodes. The uh, Yeah. I don't know. I, I watched a good portion of it. I've not seen every episode, but, I, you know, the first few seasons I have, and afterwards I kind of drifted away from it a bit, but I've seen most of it through to the final episode. Didn't watch the new series yet, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so we find out that yes, yeah, so uh, Sam has to be with Teresa in yeah. the attic. Yep. Also, have to plug in a hair dryer. He comes up with an alter plan, getting his brothers to go. I, I would have loved to have seen that conversation. I know, right? <laughs> well, it, well, because there's even the conversation between the two brothers in the car mm-hmm. where they're like, you know, what are we doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. And you know, Primo's just sort of like, you know, Frankie said, and mm-hmm. so we're doing it. I, I love this idea though, like, like in the mafia. Uh, like in a mafia family, like there's this this weird corrupt sense of honor of like I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you to do something. Mm-hmm. I just want you to trust me uh-huh. and do it. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. It might not be enjoyable, right? But just do it because you owe me. 
You know what? One other thing, real quick. Uh, in the whole Al moment, he says "bingo, bango, bongo" for the first time, mm. um, yes. which is which is something that we'll hear again. Come back in a year and a half, dear listeners. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we will, and we will explore that episode. But yeah, so so he convinces his brothers to do this thing, and they show up at the frat house. Uh, we're going to do this a little bit out of order because we're talking about the brothers anyway. Yes, so yeah. they show up at this frat house and it's great <laughs> because Primo, like, he's got the, the hair dryer and he, like, walks up and this, you know, frat guy walks uh-huh. out and he's like, what are you doing? And, you know, he's like, I need to plug this in. And the frat guy tries to give him a hard time and Primo draws a gun on him. Yeah. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> like, points a gun right at this guy's chest. It shuts mm-hmm. him right up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you can plug it in right over here. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah right. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments that was made by uh, Chris's girlfriend, Nicole and my wife Jessica as we were watching the episode this last time where I was like that guy's way too old to be a college yeah. student <laughs> yes I think that's a that's a running theme in a lot of entertainment of the era mm-hmm. they didn't even try to no. to make them pass how old are you 32 ah that's yeah. fine sure come Why on not? in yeah 30 years from now when people are watching this in high definition <laughs> won't be a problem no. crow's feet sure. yeah, yeah come on yeah. Dead gray in your hair. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so he plugs in the hair dryer, yep. and immediately all of we should also mention like it's in front of a frat house, like we're in frat row, yeah, basically, and the lights immediately like go out. Transformers spark. Yep. Um, that was some good transformer work too. Mm-hmm. That was that was, like that was a, a nice little. Uh huh. Was nice and round and yeah they they spent some money on that white yeah. transformer. Well, and and as I, you know, as probably quite a few people listening to this would would know that that blackout was a real event. Uh, mm-hmm. November 9th, nineteen sixty five, the the Northeast had a, a blackout, a sustained blackout, like twelve hours, mm-hmm. um, and it was you know over thirty million people, eighty thousand square miles. It was it was intense, mm-hmm. uh, and so this is yet another one of our kisses with history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting because like for this kiss with history, they had to create like this entire set. Briefly introduce these two actors, yeah. like working at the power plant, <laughs> yeah. like freaking out. Uh, right. And my wife Betsy, she was watching this episode with me at this point, uh, and she was like, "Oh wow, they're acting! They are acting so hard!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like we're losing the grid. I don't yeah. Think- yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yes, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but before that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a great phone call between Sam and Teresa mm-hmm. where Sam has, you know, now he's convinced his brothers to go to this thing. Oh, yeah, right. Now he has to get Teresa to come with him. And, uh, and he is, you know, he's laying it on. He's like, you know, I got to have you again. We got to do this again. It's got to be in Don Gino's attic. And she flips out. Mm-hmm. She's like, what are you, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a thing that we glossed over at the beginning is that they were in Don Gino's right. attic. And that, that makes it even yeah, worse. That heightens the stakes even Not more. Not only in his attic, in his attic during his daughter's wedding. wedding. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, I don't know if you know, that's the tools for getting whacked on site. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, yeah. That's the no recipe. ifs, ands, or buts yeah. about that one. Um, and so then there's this, there's this funny, amusing line of, of dialogue that, you know, 
I was better there than I was, you know, under the L tracks. I was better there than I was at the furnace at the church. I was better, you know, all this sort of stuff. And there's this really interesting cut that happens because they're talking on the phone, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there's this cut, and they're together in the attic, and Sam's responding to, to what... the thing on the phone. And yeah. I think it's behind the furnace at St. Anthony's. Yeah, think... that's exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really funny moment that, that, you know, in your head, you kind of imagine that they got off the phone shortly after this, they meet up in the attic, and they're, you know, they're, they're hugging and everything, and all of a sudden Sam's like... Wait a minute. Like, yeah, wait, wait, wait excuse me? What now? Say what now? Yes. I went along with everything to get you here, but I just have to say. <laughs> Wasn't she also doing that in the salon with, like, her co-workers there? Right, she's just, she yeah. was like a, so a like a rat. have, like, a, a sex, uh, phone sex call with her boyfriend. It, it was, it was starting to go that way. Yeah, she kicks yeah. off her yeah, shoes. Yeah, she kicks off her shoes. <laughs> yeah. Just put her she legs comfortable. She's, yeah, she's leaning back in the chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's, it, it is a really, it is a funny moment, and they both play it very well, and then when we get to the attic, uh, you know, there's some really, really fun stuff that happens there. Sam says, awesome. And Teresa's like, awesome? What mm-hmm. is what is awesome? She's like, I like awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, great. Sam has just invented awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, Actually, I think, like, looking that up, I, I can't remember, like, what source I, I read it at, but, like, awesome was already yeah. fairly in use at the time. It's one of those terms that we think is a much more modern term than what it is. Sure. But to the average person, the average viewer, they would go, oh, awesome is really out of place in 1965. Uh, yeah, no, it's been around for hundreds of years. I mean, they're like... Hundreds I, I, of I, years. I mean, yeah. No, it, no it really I mean, it has no, been. But, but like as a... As a like a slang expression of... Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. As a slang expression, mm-hmm. absolutely. But it, I mean, no, it was, it was getting used, you know, it was getting used by... President Kennedy. It was getting used by Mark Twain. Was getting, re- you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's been used for 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 quite a long time. Uh, but yeah, it, it is it is fun that that she's like never heard of this expression at all, especially mm-hmm. in this context. Yeah. And now she likes it. She's but probably going to use it. But she's know. ready to be awesome. She's gonna yeah. She's well, you know, and she's gonna go back to the to the hairdressers. Yeah. And she's gonna be like, your haircut is awesome. What? Yeah. Um. But but then there's this really wonderful tender sweet yes. moment and it's and it's Sam. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about when this is when we really get to know Sam because again his reaction to being a hitman and what he says to Teresa here that's who Sam is. Mm-hmm. Because you know? he can't go, like even mm-hmm. though he knows like this is what he needs to do to get retrieved. Yeah. He can't go through with having sex with someone that he doesn't have feelings for. Yeah. And you know just talking about everything that she deserves and you know and how she's special and you know and, and the thing is is that it's not He's not laying it on. He's not trying to get her to sleep with him. He's not, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, he's just genuinely like, you're special. You're, mm-hmm. you're great. And he's a better man than I am. Well, <laughs> 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 hey, Terry Garber looks good in the episode, you know, I mean, what can you mm-hmm. say? <laughs> he had like this big, wonderful smile and these big brown eyes and she was gullible and sweet and tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I was... She had me from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, there was a Crack.com article that makes the argument that Sam is technically raping every woman that he has uh, sex with on a leap. Uh, what? Because he's having sex with them under false pretenses. They think they're having sex with someone else, and he's him. Sure. Ooh, that shit. Really? <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, anyway, yeah, uh, I feel like that that fits more because uh, I feel like there's only 
one instance where I would consider that. Because, like, most leaps, for one, he doesn't have sex with a lot of women through the series. He no. makes out with a lot of women. Right. Yeah. A lot of them, like him getting intimate with a woman, is a step towards his overall goal for why he's there. I can only think of one instance where he sleeps with someone and she thinks that she is sleeping with a very specific person that she has been intimate with before in the past and he is sleeping with her because he knew her in his actual life as a kid and he's fulfilling a childhood fantasy. That's some sick shit. <laughs> okay, alright. Alright, <laughs> then we're crossing. Okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. uh, okay. Yeah. That are, right. it's, well, a, it's a stretch, but that I understand. But what is yeah. that, like... Three percent of the entire <laughs> mm-hmm. times he hooked up. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, and one and one could argue too that I, I mean, in addition to that, I mean, he's he's also he's also potentially cheating on his wife if he actually has a wife at the time that he's doing the leap because mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't and maybe he does. We don't really know because mm-hmm. things do happen. To, things are left up in the air, right? Yeah. But they are left up in the air as to whether or not she actually exists. Wow. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it is an interesting thing to look at within the confines of the show. Of course, it all makes sense, Mm. but I think uh, there's definitely some validity to it. That said, that said, I firmly will fall into the camp that believes that most of those women, if not all of them, would have absolutely slept with Sam Beckett if Sam Beckett was in front of them. True. And think about it. Like, if he's sleeping with a chick from 1955... (laughs) You know he's throwing her some moves where she's like, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> you know he's dropping some shit on her where she's like, oh my oh, god. That reminds me of the scene. to you for 30 years. Where was this? In High Fidelity, when, 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 I think it's actually not, I don't know if it's in the film, it might actually be a cut scene, but when, uh, when the Harold Ramis who plays, uh, John Cusack's dad looks at him and he's like, the good lay wasn't even invented when I was your age, you know? <laughs> so that's a good point. That's a good point. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's go ahead and go back so that we, we're not here all night. For sure, yeah. So he, there's this really tender moment there, and I, I always liked it. And again, that passionate Sam that we see there and that genuine, heartfelt Sam is, mm. is, is something that I've always liked to see. And um, it's, really, it's really cool to, to get that uh, at that particular moment. Of course, things start to proceed mm-hmm. as planned. Uh, the power is starting to, you know, to... Well, not yet, but the brothers are getting ready to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, at this moment, Teresa and Sam are interrupted. The Don. The Don shows mm-hmm. up. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, I love, like, we skipped over a previous scene where... Uh, the Don's oh, right-hand right. killer, like, he, he he's at the, he's by the, the Don's right. like car window, and he was like, I saw them sneak up, I saw it myself, in my attic, uh-huh. in my attic, people don't have respect, oh, I'm going to teach him respect, and, like, uh-huh. he pulls he's up, putting he, he's putting the silencer on, on. Yeah. yeah, hmm, yeah, and now he shows up, he bursts in, and, uh, it looks like Sam's about ready to... Mm-hmm. There's no weaseling your way out of this. No, one. yeah, it's like, no. So I'm like, how is it that two of my own can show such disrespect? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then uh, eventually there's a there's a tussle mm-hmm. between Sam and the Don, mm-hmm. uh, and as well, even before that, like there's like this little argument where like Teresa argues like, no, I can be with who I want to be. Like she, right. yeah, she. Uh, 
confrontational. Like she's defiant against him. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's not. Yeah, she's not gonna. Back Which she down. was earlier, but yeah, I'm like she's taking a stand. Like she's not gonna back down. Like if you have to kill us, kill us. Right. Well, and something else that you know that happens earlier in the episode, towards the very beginning, uh, is that when they're having the scene in, in the garage and he's, you know, kind of coming on to her and basically treating her like, you know, she's his property and, you know, you're my side piece, whatever. And, and, and she's very defiant in that moment too. And she even looks at him at one point and says like, I broke this off. And, you know, he's very much like, you know, Oh, you don't break this off. I mm-hmm. break this off. But he's also kind of turned on by that. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Because she speaks to him like he's just a regular guy. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, um, but but it's yeah, it is great to see her stand up. You know, she mm-hmm. doesn't she doesn't shrink away from the fact that here's this guy with this gun. Like she would rather she would rather take the bullet and be out of this than have to you know owe anything to this douchebag. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, there's the tussle with with the Don and Sam, and during that tussle, we get honestly, you know, all spoilers aside, one of the more unique moments of the entire series. Mm-hmm with the blackout happening and the retrieval starting to happen. And in that moment, the retrieval can't complete. And so what happens, Sam switches places Mm -hmm. from being Frankie to now being the Don. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a really interesting moment. Mm -hmm. And and there's a great, there's a, you know, there's a great sort of comedic bit where Sam looks in the mirror and sees herself as the Don. Yeah. It's like, Oh great. No, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's this really great moment where, you know, he's trying to figure out what can he do mm-hmm. to make things right for everyone. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting piece of dialogue that he has where he's convinced, like, if I, you know, if I set you two up and I say that I'm okay with it, it doesn't really matter because as soon as Gino gets back here, he's going to have you two killed anyway. And it's interesting because it, it makes you think, oh, the people that are in the waiting room have no idea what's happening mm-hmm. here. Well, well, at the same time, Frankie has leaped back in. Yeah. And he thinks it's still the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because it does kind of go against some of the other things that we've sort of theorized, mm-hmm. you know, and that fans have been theorizing for, for years and years and years mm-hmm. and years. Um, that what is happening when they're sitting in that waiting room. And even stuff that we'll come to find out, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it is an interesting little bit where you don't know exactly what's been going on. And I guess one could argue that Frankie probably thinks that because they saw him when he arrived and they've been struggling to figure out how they're going to retrieve Sam this whole time and haven't paid mm-hmm. any attention to the guy in the waiting room. So mm-hmm. you could certainly... So they haven't you know, been catching him up yeah, on anything. You could explain it away if you wanted to. So mm-hmm. you think Frankie thought he got whacked while he was in the waiting room? <laughs> That's an interesting thought. He thinks he's in heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, he's having sex with the Don's daughter... And he's just in the waiting room. Right? The Don's girlfriend. Oh, we should. Yeah, we should clarify. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, that's, we should clarify. That guy was a whole different yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> that's fourth season. No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh wow. No, but that's that's a really interesting that's a really interesting point because it does make you wonder. It can, mm-hmm. There are again, you know, as, as as the show goes on, and we'll talk about this more and more. We do learn a little bit about what's happening in the waiting room and what certain people are thinking when they get there. But at this particular point, it's all whatever we're making up in our heads. And so that's a really fascinating perspective. It's like he gets there and he's like, am I dead? (laughs) Probably thinking that when he got back too, because he was like, if I wasn't dead, I am going to be mad. Now, yeah, Yeah. because immediately he sees the dawn and he's immediately... 
right jumping in and trying to make up an excuse and like this isn't what it appears and yeah uh, so this is where we get Sam starting to basically talk to himself like how do I figure out like he even says in a voiceover it's like now that I was the Don I knew I know why I'm here yeah to get them together and and as he as he's trying to put the pieces together he even looks at them at one point and he's like you know do you two love each other mm-hmm. and it's great because Frankie is all like I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and Teresa, and Teresa's like, I love him, you know, of course I love him, and, you know, and to hell with you, and I love him, and and all this sort of stuff, and then at one point, you know, Sam just kind of looks at Frankie, and he's like, tell me the truth, Mm -hmm. and it's this really kind of nice moment, because even Frankie, like, kind of just straight as an arrow is just like, with all my heart, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, these Mm -hmm. these two, these two deserve to be together. But I love, like, uh, before that, there's a moment where Sam is talking to himself, like, I don't, blah, blah, blah. And then the real Don leaps back, and then you end up like Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa. I'm in the Teamsters? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, even, and even Teresa's like, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then he, he, comes up with a, he comes up with a plan with, mm-hmm. uh, with Bingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they all go to the Bingo Hall, and uh, it goes up to the father, and you know, the father's like, I can't just, I can't just, it's got to be an official pronouncement, there's got to be all these things. And, and, and you know, the, of course, as the Don, he's just sort of like, do me a favor, you mm-hmm. know, come on, do me a solid here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he announces it in front of everybody, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that these two are going to get married and that it's with the Don's blessing. Everybody's so happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost feel like it, like in this moment, like everybody in that bingo hall knew that Frankie and Teresa were making time together. Yeah. Right. Like it was, it was like a bad secret that, knew, that everyone knew, but the Don. Yeah. yeah. But if you say anything about it, mm-hmm. you know, right. Fishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to upset anybody in this equation. Mm-hmm. So um, they're probably just all relieved. Like, Oh, thank God this happened. <laughs> <laughs> now we can go back to our bingo. Mm-hmm. Um, which in that, in that particular moment, Sam kind of, Walks off to the side, and Al reappears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Al reappears in furs and like a <laughs> like fur, a fur hat. fuzzy hat. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a great moment before that. Uh, this comedic moment where Sam thinks he's done what he's supposed to do, and so he just he just takes his pose like I'm going to leave now. Yeah. And the and the priest like turns around and he catches him. Like there's this lock where like look back and forth of. Like, oh, you, you just saw me do that. Let's, yeah, right. <laughs> let's pretend that didn't happen. But then Al shows up in the furs. Yeah. And uh, crawling, walking out of the furnace. Right. Yep, out of the furnace. At St. Anthony's. And uh, and at this time, you know, basically says, yeah, the retrieval failed. Ziggy's going to start up the systems, but it's cold yeah. right now because it's yeah. the desert at night. Well, basically says, like, he failed because Sam didn't follow the instructions to, to the decimal yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. Yeah, which we know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and Sam's like, great, now I'm going to have to, you know, live out the next 40 years as the Don. And Al's like, no, no, nah, no, 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 no. that can't happen. He gets whacked by the Carlucci's in May or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam's like, uh, uh, yeah. and I was like, but don't worry, I know what you're here to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he points him over to the, mm-hmm. uh, the bingo and he pulls the number and... You know, Mona wins. She wins. Bingo. And, mm-hmm. Yep. And this is another thing to bring it around at the beginning of the episode. This episode, he leaps out, like, kind of doing, like, this, like, spin and turn to show Al the the magic ball. Yeah. Which corresponds to him turning around from the blackboard at oh, the start of Starcross. interesting. 
Interesting. That's really good. Yeah. But to jump back, so we talked about the beginning of the episode, we said originally this was supposed to have been the second episode yeah. aired. The reason why Don Belisario chose not to have it be the, epi- the second episode aired is that he thought the double leap in an episode would be too confusing for audiences, and he didn't want to scare them off two episodes in. Chris, what are your feelings? <laughs> kind of a mistake. I mean, I think audience might have been smart enough to get it back then, but there's no for sure, so I understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. Personally, I would have let off with it. I would have been like, yeah. this mm-hmm. is what we're doing. Because it's it's honestly a damn good episode. Yeah, It's funny and heartwarming. And everybody is great, and everybody's trying to keep the secret. Everybody's trying to not get whacked. The Don is trying to hold on to his toy that he knows he can't have. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of good elements that I love. If you were to show this episode to me after the pilot, I would be hooked. Yeah. I would agree with mm-hmm. that, actually. I think I think we may have talked about this on a, on a previous episode, is... Throughout the entire run of the series, I felt like Don Belisario felt like he had to play it safer. Yep. Because for some reason, he never thought like the audience was totally on board with the premise. So he always felt like he couldn't push the story yeah. too far. I didn't feel like he trusted the audience enough to, to be on board. Well, and I would even say that, you know, in addition to not trusting the audience, I think he probably didn't trust, you know, the, the network. Mm. I think that there was a big mm. element of, of, you know, I'm, I'm getting by, you know, mm. I, I, and as the show, I mean, the show would struggle, you know, the, the show struggled a bit in its first season, even mm-hmm. uh, struggled a little bit in the second season. It kind of found its footing, you know, towards the end of the second season, third season, but it was never like a huge ratings hit, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it did get some degree of critical acclaim and, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about it won some Emmys. It was mm-hmm. nominated for Golden Globes and Emmys, and it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think at one point, I I don't know how they tracked this at the time, but at one point, it was the most taped show. Mm, interesting. Track that. Like right? I, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. But as far as like people who taped it to watch it later, because for a good portion of its run, it was on Friday nights. Right. Exactly. And and, and you know, and it's it's interesting too because this was the last. Friday night episode of this season, the mm-hmm. next episode was switched to Wednesday nights, ah, yes. which would end up being kind of its home base for a, a portion, a good portion of the, mm-hmm. of the run of the show. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think that had it been the second episode, I mean, I really enjoyed Starcrossed, and I think that Starcrossed is a fun episode to go into right after the pilot, but I also think that it's it's a it's it's sort of a heavy episode in some ways with with the you know Sam's. Uh, Fiance who left him at the altar being there and you know and all this other stuff that happens I, I think it would have been interesting had this been the episode in between mm-hmm. uh, you know had Starcross been third as opposed to the second episode uh, the double leap being the logic behind not having it be mm-hmm. the second episode doesn't make a lot of sense to me especially considering that we know that one of the intentions of the series from the get-go was that there would always be a secondary leap in an episode mm-hmm. you know like much like the pilot has the baseball leap this episode has the, the the Don leap that there was going to be the idea that we would get a little bit of either the next leap or another leap within an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? Who knows the exact reasons why? But mm-hmm. I think it's, in my opinion, it, it, the, the pilot aside, it might be the strongest episode so far 
on the whole. Again, I really like Starcrossed, um, and I think that this is definitely a lighter episode. It feels a little bit fluffier in some ways, but I think it holds together better than the others do. Um, I think it's a it's a fun hour of television. I think, and this is differing in opinion from you, Sam. I think it is the most unquantum leap of any of the early episodes. Really? Okay. Huh. I see. Yeah, I do disagree. I think that there's something about this one that it it, it doesn't feel as overstuffed as Right Hand of God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as just kind of weird as how the test was one feels. Um, it. I think Starcrossed might edge it out for feeling a little bit more quantum leap. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the Sam we get in this episode compared to the Sam we get in Starcrossed mm-hmm. that feels more like the Sam that we'll get for the next 90 episodes. Character-wise, I can see that. It's more like, specifically, like, there is no objective. There is no what is Sam there to do sure. for, for three That's quarters. That's a very, of the, very good For point. three quarters of the episode. Yeah. It is, it is, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. It is definitely... Uh, an odd duck in that respect because mm-hmm. it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have the mission, the obstacle, etc. Whereas some of the other episodes do. The next episode that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. I think, actually has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, speaking I, of to bring around and as a segue going into uh, to the next episode, talking about like how Don Belisario didn't trust the viewers or the network. The next episode that we're going to talk about, uh, his wife at the time wrote it. Deborah Pratt, yep. who was a producer on the series, he did not want to do that episode in the first season. He wanted to wait until the second or third season because he did not think the audience would be on board for Sam to leap into a black man. Yeah. Which we didn't actually say yet, that mm-hmm. he leaps out, and when he leaps out, we don't Here get star crossed. What we get is he's sitting down mm-hmm. at, at, at a counter in a restaurant. Yes. And clearly there are people in the background looking at him mm-hmm. in, a, in a sort of like, odd way uh-huh. and Sam of course is completely unaware as he looks across into the mirror and staring back at him is the face of a black man mm-hmm. an older black man mm-hmm. and 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 even the music at this point is very much sort of like oh shit uh-huh. um, but it's also interesting and a lot of times like at the end of episodes uh, it was a, the end of the episode, like when Sam leaping into a situation, it was sometimes a little bit different than the situation he leaped into just for, for time. Yeah. So, like, he leaps in, he's already sitting at the counter. Yeah. Whereas right. we see at the start of the next episode, he's, he's, standing, actually he's standing, standing up when he leaps in, and it's Sam's choice to sit down at the counter, not the person he leaped into's right. choice. Right, which we'll get into more on the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, double identity, to sum up, uh, I think that it is, much like you said, I think it's a fun hour of television. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good episode of Quantum Leap. I would probably, again, it would be tough for me to put it above Starcrossed, but I would certainly say that it's close. At this particular point in time, I would absolutely argue that we have not had a great episode of Quantum Leap yet. That's about to change, mm-hmm. but Pilot included, which I, which I enjoy, Starcrossed, mm-hmm. which I enjoy, Double Identity, which I like, we've not yet had a great episode. Fair enough. Any other final thoughts before we leap out of here? No. Mm, I think that pretty pretty well sums it up. All right. Well, thank you listeners very much, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com 
or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to stay